Hi, I'm Adam Sanford. I'm an academic life coach and professor in Los Angeles. And I'm Dinur Bloom. I'm a college professor in Los Angeles. And this is Learning Made Easier, a podcast where we discuss how we learn and how we teach and how they overlap. episode 135, Common Mistakes First-Year Students Make. Over the next few episodes, Dinor and I are going to be talking about an article from Affordable Colleges Online, and we'll put the link in the show notes. And this article highlights common first-year mistakes, starting with academic ones. According to this article, four common academic mistakes that first-year students make regularly include skipping class, bad study habits, poor time management skills, and not connecting with faculty. And all of these probably sound somewhat familiar to our listenership because we've talked about most of these. In this episode, we'll talk about each of these problems and how to course correct to avoid or fix them. So the first issue is skipping class. Sure, we've all skipped class at least once or twice, even your professors. We have other things we want to do, we're tired, or we've got another class or a test we've got to study for. But we're still skipping class, and that can lead to bad outcomes if we do it too often or make a habit out of it. A study in 1998 showed that class attendance was the best predictor of college grades, outstripping SAT scores, high school grade point average, study habits, and study skills. And yet, students skip class regularly. One study found 20% of students will skip class on any given day. College students may find skipping classes easy. There's no institutional penalty. This isn't like high school where you can get in big trouble for not showing up to school. In college, there's no truant officer who's going to come after you for not showing up. Why? Because college students are adults and they're paying for the class. So if they don't show up, they're the only one who loses. So why do students skip class when they're the only ones who get a negative impact from it? We're going to talk about two studies here, and the first study from 2015 uncovered five main factors for students skipping class. Mood issues, personal issues, health issues, lecture issues, and no negative consequences for skipping. So mood issues included having more interesting things to do than go to class, whether either good or bad, not feeling like it, and being sleepy or tired. Personal issues included those friends who just needed support today, family duties, job duties, an important event, or not being able to make it to class on time. Health issues included not feeling well, being up late the previous night, and stress, while lecture issues included boring lectures, boring teachers, uninteresting subject material, seeing the lecture as lacking usefulness for future work, and being afraid of the professor. Finally, the lack of negative consequences included the teacher not taking role, students knowing a classmate will cover for them if they're absent, and no perceived consequences for not showing up. Lack of consequences, according to that study, was far and away the most common reason for students skipping class. Now, another study before that, from 2010 to 2014, analyzed over 1 million tweets on Twitter, and they found five primary reasons students would admit that they'd skipped class for. Social time with friends, exhaustion, recreation, studying, and weather. And these five reasons fit into personal health and mood issues that were identified in the 2015 study. Even so, skipping class can have consequences that students do not recognize at first and which may only have a noticeable impact later. Some professors do take role. 
Studies show students don't skip these classes as often, especially if being in class is part of their grade in some way. In some areas, college professors are not allowed to make attendance part of the course grade, but they can still make activities that require attendance part of the course grade. So a student who skips a class where attendance is part of the grade will feel the impact of that skip when final grades arrive. Also, students may not realize that boring but necessary lectures give them the foundation to do work later in the course, and missing this foundational information can be crucial to their success or failure in the course. This can be especially true in STEM courses and writing courses, where later lessons and lectures build on what's already been taught earlier in the course. Even if the student skips a class which wouldn't be foundational to their learning, they also still have to make up work later, which creates even more work to do than the class normally demands. Now, in addition to doing the current week's work, they're stuck doing last week's work too because the weather was just too nice to go to class that day. And even if there's no assignment to turn in or the teacher doesn't accept late work, the student still has to get notes from a classmate and then try to teach themselves the material that they missed, and they'll miss out on the chance to hear other people's questions and ask their own during the lecture period. For many students, this can lead to disaster, especially if a student just gets into the habit of skipping class every week. Now, is there ever a time when it's reasonable to miss class? Yes, but the list of reasons is much shorter than the reasons many students give for skipping. It is reasonable to miss class if you're sick, or if there's been a death in your family, or if your method of getting to campus failed, like your car died, or you had a flat tire, or the bus was late. But the other reasons students give for skipping class really don't fly with most instructors, so try to avoid using them. The bottom line on skipping class is it's a great way to tank your grade. Instead of ignoring the consequences, be aware of them, and do your best to come to class even if you think it's going to be boring, or not worth your time, or not applicable to your future job. If nothing else, the lecture will be applicable to what you need to study in order to pass the class, and that should be your first goal with any class you take. Teachers, the best way to keep students from skipping class is to make it difficult to pass without attending. Create in-class activities which require attendance, and students will be less likely to skip class. Also, make sure you reiterate what missing class can do to their grade. Remind them so they don't forget that showing up matters. Students generally value their grade and will take action to protect it. Now, the second big issue is bad study habits. In high school, a lot of kids skated by on their smarts. They also depended on current K-12 policies that don't allow teachers to fail anyone, and policies that required at least a grade of 50% on any assignment, even if it wasn't turned in. In short, they never really learned good study habits because they didn't need them. But now, confronted with the need to actually study in a consistent, systematic manner, many first-year college students just find themselves lost. They don't know what to do, they don't know how to do it, they don't know when to do it, they don't know where to do it, they don't know why to do it, and that can lead to a spiral of shame and anxiety that makes thinking, never mind learning, pretty much impossible. This is different from study skills, too. A study skill is knowing how to study. For example, how to create and use flashcards, or how to learn by rewriting your notes. But a study habit is when you employ a study skill consistently over time and where, ideally, it becomes automatic for you, like brushing your teeth. You don't have to actively think about doing it, you just do it. We've talked a lot in this podcast about developing good study habits. Our time management series, episodes 12 through 16, 
can help you establish times you will study reliably each week. Make sure you start studying for a test at least a week before the test date and study, don't cram. Review your notes two or three times. Make flashcards and self quizzes and use them. Set up a study group and meet with them regularly too. In our episode 20, we talk with Gretchen Wagner about the study cycle, which ties study habits to the cycle of learning our minds go through when taking in new information. Set up your study times around the study cycle. And if you're still struggling, go to your college's learning center to get help developing good study habits. Now, the third thing is poor time management skills. <laughs> Procrastination, the P word, that's the big issue here. But students often don't know how to use time management tools either. Again, in our time management series, which is episodes 12 to 16, we'll talk about using to-do lists, planners, and calendars, as well as some tools to help you prioritize what needs to get done and what can wait or get delegated. We also talk in that series about how to take the big projects and break them down into the bite-sized pieces so you can actually do them. But apart from those tools, let's talk about procrastination for a minute or two. Mainly, when someone is procrastinating, what they're actually dealing with is stress and or perfectionism. And that causes them to put off what they have to do until the deadline is right on top of them. It is almost never laziness. So those of you who are procrastinators, stop kicking yourself for being lazy. You're not lazy. You're stressed. And various articles around the web give a lot of help with this, but their main points boil down to four things. And the first one is break the work down into small pieces that you can get done in an hour or less. And we've already talked about how to do this in episode 13 specifically. So we're going to point you there for the backwards forwards method of breaking down your big projects. The second thing is plan when you're going to do the work. This really helps a lot with that. Oh, I've got lots of time available error. No, you don't. You have two weeks. That's not a lot of time. That means taking the tasks you need to do, putting them in your planner and then doing them when that time and date shows up. Make it inconvenient not to do what you need to do. For this, we'll refer you to our episode 93, where we talk about Lauren Handel Zander's method of setting an unpleasant consequence for yourself if you don't follow through on what you said you would do. Setting the unpleasant consequence certainly makes it inconvenient to not do what you need to do. It's inconvenient to have to allow your mom to lecture you for 10 minutes because you didn't turn in a paper. You can also set things up so if you don't finish the work, you can't do something you want to do. For example, tell your roommate you have to finish a paper and you know you're going to be tempted to play video games, so you need them to hide your game controller until you show them a finished paper. Without the controller, you can't play, and that'll make it extremely inconvenient to not finish the paper. The fourth piece is reward yourself for each piece you finish. It doesn't have to be a big reward. You could just say, I am awesome, and do a fist pump after you've done with a task. James Clear does this a lot, the guy who wrote Atomic Habits. Or you could create a punch card from an index card and write 1 through 10 around the edge and write the reward on the card. And each time you finish a task, grab your hole punch and punch off one of the numbers. When you punch them all off, then you get the reward, maybe a latte or an hour of video gaming. Also, that punching of the card, it gives your brain a little hit of dopamine, which is a reward as well. Now, we want to talk a little bit here with a specific help for procrastination for people who may be neurodivergent, specifically people who are ADHD. Jesse Anderson, 
at extrafocus.io has an amazing strategy guide for people who are ADHD and struggle with this stuff. He points out in his strategy guide that for ADHD folks, the motivation does not come from something being important, but rather something being interesting. According to him, neurodivergent brains, like ADHD brains, are motivated by five things. One, interest, something you find fun or interesting. Two, challenge, something that involves competition or winning. Three, novelty or creativity, something that involves forming a new routine or creation or artistic expression. Four, urgency, tasks that are due right now or within the next few hours. Five, passion, tasks that line up with your life purpose. If you're struggling to get in the zone, find a way to tie the task you have to do to an interest you have or to what you're really passionate about, or see it as a competition or bring in some creativity. The usual method of procrastinating until the deadline is right on top of you may be the one you're used to, but it's not ideal because work produced at the last minute is rarely quality work. You need to find ways to tie the task to one of these other motivators. And another way to help yourself get motivated to do things you need to do is something called body doubling. And this has been shown to really help people who struggle with executive function, which is the ability to plan out and initiate tasks. And that includes a lot of people who have ADHD or are autistic. So having someone with you in the room, even if they're not doing anything but studying with you or reading a book next to you, can often help you focus and get moving on your own work. And by the way, this works even if you're in a Zoom room and not in person. So if you know you struggle with starting tasks, this is a great way to get over that difficulty. Study groups and study buddies count for this method. So we've put two articles in the show notes about procrastination, one from BBC's Work Life and the other from Raptitude about why procrastination happens and how to stop it in its tracks. We've also linked to extrafocus.io so you can get on Anderson's mailing list and download his strategy guide, and I really recommend it. Next, we get to a lack of connection with faculty. For many first years, the idea of making friends with the professor sounds really weird. Professors are the enemy, aren't they? Don't you have to fight with them to get any kind of good grade? Don't they gloat when they can give you an F? While many students arrive at college with the idea that teachers are their enemy, it's rarely the case that professors see students that way. A professor who seems condescending or patronizing is probably either stressed or not aware of how they're coming across. One way to find out which of these is the case is by visiting office hours, so you're not just a number on their roster, but a real person they've met. Coincidentally, this will also make them a real person to you. Try to cultivate a relationship and connection with at least one or two professors every term. Participate in class, show up on time, keep your emails to them courteous and professional. But that's the bare minimum expected in most classes, so you'll need to find ways to stand out. Do this by going to their office hours. Talk with them about what you find interesting in their courses. Also, ask the professors for help when you don't understand something. Yes, asking for help can be hard, but remember, professors are here to help you learn. It's our job. And we only know you need help if you tell us you need help, so we need your help to do that job. We're also real big geeks about our class topics. We love talking about them. We're more than happy to get the chance to talk about them with students who, who don't get it yet. You'll actually be giving us a chance to totally geek out about something we enjoy. It's not an imposition for us at all, honestly. 
And once you've gotten to know a professor, you can often keep coming back to them for mentorship and guidance, even after the course is over. Professors you have a connection with can be crucial when the time comes to do things like get letters of recommendation. So it's a good idea to develop a connection with faculty. A little bit about our experiences dealing with these issues. Whenever I have students who struggle on my quizzes, especially after the first quiz and their first attempt on it, I ask them, how did you study? I don't necessarily ask them how long they studied, but I'll ask them to break down what they did. And more often than not, I'll get, I crammed, I looked over my notes, I looked over the slides the night or two nights before. And so I go, okay, were you happy with the result? They're talking to me, odds are they're not happy with it. That opens the door for me to say, okay, let's divide your time a little bit differently. Let's see what other activities we can do. Let's build these study skills so that they become study habits. So that the next time you take this quiz or the next quiz you take, it's gonna be a little bit smoother and you're not gonna want to beat yourself up a lot. When we met in person, prior to COVID being a reality, one of the things I loved doing was hosting informal chats with my students. Whether it was in office hours or out, we would go to coffee on campus and whatever questions or concerns they had, they could be about my class, they could be about school, they could be about work, whatever was on their mind, they could chat with me about. We didn't always have to keep the focus on classwork. 90% of the time we did, but that extra 10% let students know that, hey, we're people too. We're sports fans. We go to concerts just like they do. And that experience, I think, helped me hopefully be a little bit more human to my students. And I know that it certainly helped me when, when some of these students asked for letters of recommendation because it wasn't just, oh, they earned a B plus in this class. It was, oh yeah, I really saw the improvement they made on their writing. And I remember all the good conversations we had. I'd be happy to write a letter for them. I consistently encourage students to come talk to me. And I emphasize, I'm just a big geek who loves talking about the ideas of the course. And some students find that both amusing and intriguing. The best feedback I ever got was, he's tough, but he's fun and he's fair. And the student who gave me that feedback was a regular in my office hours. They got great letters of recommendation for me. They had also struggled with time management and procrastination, and they came to office hours for help with those problems as much as for help with the course content. They got a lot of coaching sessions with me. And they rarely skipped class because they knew they would fall behind and fall behind rapidly if they did. I also had a student who skipped class a lot. And by the time he decided to take the class seriously, it was far too late for him to catch up. I remember that I had to have him come to office hours so I could break it to him that he was going to fail my course and there weren't any Hail Mary opportunities left to save him. He'd used them all up and he was really discouraged and he said, I thought it was just, you know, school. And I said, what does that mean, school? He says, well, you know, like high school. Why, why aren't you like high school? And I hate it when students do this to themselves because there's not much I can do to fix the problem at that point. So along with everything else we said, don't put your professor in the position of having to tell you because you decided to skip class, because you did not develop good study skills, because you decided that, you know, you didn't need to talk with me, you are now failing this class. Whether you believe it or not, most faculty hate having to do that. We hate having to tell you that. We hate saying it because we hate seeing you fall apart. It's not something that we enjoy. 
you know, contrary to popular belief, we are not all sadists. We do not all dream of being Torquemada. All right. And so it's really sad for us when we see a student who drops the ball on these easily preventable things. The way students can use the information in this episode is listen to our episodes 12 through 16 for time management. And everything we've outlined in this episode should help first year, it should help other students overcome some of these common academic mistakes. The way teachers can use the information, students skipping class can frustrate some professors who see it as disrespect for the professor. They might see it as disregard for the student's education. They might see it as a combination of the two. Other professors may see it as they're adults and that's their choice, not my problem if they fail. One thing that can help professors who get frustrated is to realize students are making pragmatic decisions about which course or lecture is more important or helpful in the moment. If you know your lectures are going to seem dry or boring, own that up front before class starts. Let your students know, yeah, I know this is pretty dry, but we're learning about it now because it supports what you'll need to learn later. Try to have a sense of humor about it. Students will remember the amusing professor, even if they have to do the boring work, and they'll be more likely to show up. Another thing, especially when you're teaching first-year students, explain that office hours are there for students. Call them student office hours or student hours or engagement hours. A lot of students, especially first-generation students, have one of two perceptions of the term office hours. They either think that office hours are the time we are reserving to be in our offices and do all our grading, or if you're a tenured person, to do all your research. And right, if only we could finish our grading that quickly in an office hour or finish some research that quickly. But the other thing I've found that a lot of first-year students associate office hours with is the principal's office. So they hear come to office hours as you're in deep trouble. And that's really scary for them. So for the first year students listening to us, if, especially if you haven't heard us before, office hours are not the principal's office. They are the open time that belongs to the students who need to come and talk to the professor. Okay. And you don't have to come and talk to us only if you're in trouble. You could come and talk to us because you're struggling with something, not because we're angry with you. And, and I'll tell you this, it really takes a lot to get most professors angry with their students. Okay, it, it's, it's something that doesn't happen very often. Don't be afraid of office hours, students. And professors, make sure that you let the students know what office hours are for, because a lot of them, especially your first year students, may have no clue what that term means. Host informal chat sessions on Zoom, Discord, or Slack. Before COVID was a reality, I would have suggested meeting in person for coffee or lunch on campus every so often as a chance to chat in person. But with life online, teachers can have an occasional Zoom chat with students. This may get students to start their own groups and connect with each other and possibly with you as their professor. And encourage your students to use planners and calendars and whiteboards and to-do lists regularly to help manage their time and demonstrate using them in your classes, okay? Our episodes 12 through 16 are actually based on a handout that I use with my students. You could take those episodes and basically present the same information that we're talking about. It'll help your students so much. You'll be, you'll be blown away. And part of the problem is that so many of them have never seen it demonstrated. They've never seen how to use a planner. This is what you do. How to use a wall calendar. When to use a to-do list. How to use the Eisenhower box to prioritize your time. 
I had a student just this week in my my grading because I'm going over these particular uh, handouts right now in my class, and I had one student say, I never knew that I could pick what was important on my list. I thought everything was important all the time, and I was overwhelmed because I had like 12 things on my list. And knowing that nine of them actually aren't things I have to do right this second because I have to plan them out blew my mind. Okay, demonstrate how to use these man these time management tools and demonstrate how to do study skills. A lot of students don't understand how to do what they're doing. So talk about this is how a functional flashcard works. Okay, this is the kind of way you want to you know design your flashcards when you're doing your flashcards. Many of them have never gone that far. They don't have any concept of what it is to create their own study tools. So that's another thing that you can do too is layer in assignments that can then be used as study tools. One of the best ones I've ever made for my students is a terms and concepts list. I gave them a list of all the terms and concepts, but then they have to come up with their own definitions of them and they have to turn it in. Well, once they've turned it in and gotten it back from me, they can create all kinds of study tools from that. They can create flashcards, they can create self quizzes, they can hand the list to their mom and say, mom, quiz me on this. It just, it becomes such a useful thing. So that's another thing that we recommend is teach your students how to make their own study tools so they can establish better study habits. So that's what we have for you in episode 135. If you're finding this podcast helpful, please share it with your friends. We're always hoping to get new subscribers so we can help more people. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Android. We have decided to no longer publish this podcast to Spotify. So if you found us on Spotify, please take a look at Apple Podcasts or Android instead. We're hosted on Blueberry.com. Also, we would really appreciate it if you wrote a review of this podcast on Apple Podcasts. And be sure to join us next week for episode 136, when we'll talk about common financial mistakes that first-year students make. You've been listening to Learning Made Easier, a podcast about how we learn, how we teach, and how they overlap. We want to say thank you to all of our supporters on Patreon who make this podcast possible. If you want to support us, please go to www.patreon.com slash learningmadeeasier. We look forward to seeing you next week.